Thanks for tuning in to another episode of From Funding to Fame, where we interview the founders and funders currently raising capital on FrontFunder, as well as experts in the private capital markets. I'm your host, Trieste Redding, the head of campaigns at FrontFunder, and I'm excited to introduce more Canadians to equity crowdfunding. This podcast episode features conversations about a business's current operations and future plans, and as a result, may contain forward-looking information. There can be no assurance that forward-looking information will prove to be accurate, as actual results and future events could differ materially from those anticipated in such statements. Listeners should not place undue reliance on forward-looking information. Today, we're going to be speaking with the partner and COO of Forum Ventures, Jonah Medanik. Forum Ventures is the leading early stage fund, program, and community for B2B SaaS startups. From creation to acceleration to funding, Forum Ventures invests in bold and ambitious SaaS founders with the aim of being sustainable. Founded in 2014, Forum Ventures is on a mission to make the B2B SaaS journey easier, more accessible, and more successful for early stage founders across pre-seed and seed stage funding. Here are some highlights. In 2022, Forum Ventures launched a venture studio to support founders at the beginning of their journey. They act as a fractional co-founder, providing entrepreneurs with the resources to launch and scale their businesses. Their pre-seed program provides founders with $250,000 in funding, mentorship, and guidance focused on product, go-to-market strategy, and fundraising. With over 250 portfolio companies, Forum Ventures founders have gone on to raise capital from top funds like Bessemer Ventures, Kleiner Perkins, Salesforce Ventures, and many more. Forum Ventures also has an incredible peer community that brings together like-minded entrepreneurs from all backgrounds to share best practices, insights, and advice to support one another. Hi, Jonah. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're really excited. You're an engineer by trade and a serial entrepreneur by choice. You've spent the last 20 years building companies in Canada and the U.S. and have experienced the startup journey from different perspectives. Can you tell us more about your journey as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I'm an entrepreneur by accident, which I think a lot of us are, um, in that I, I kind of fell face first into it. And uh, coming out of college, you know, all those decades ago, I uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and you know a problem kind of came and found me, and uh, I ended up spending ten years like bootstrapping a business, got it up to a, a pretty good revenue number, and and sold it for not very much, but um, and that kind of kickstarted my journey, and, and since then I've been lucky enough to see it from a bunch of different angles. I bootstrapped a business. I've been a part of a founding team that raised a ton of money. I've spun out a corporate division, and I've also run a venture-backed startup of my own. Wow, that's a pretty amazing journey. And as you said now, um, you're you're kind of on the other side of the table as a, a partner in COO at Forum Ventures. So what does your role entail, and what does a day in the life look like for you? Uh, yeah, so one of the interesting things about my role is that it entails a lot of things. So first and foremost, uh, because Forum has an accelerator and a seed fund and a studio, we see a lot of different things. We're funding, you know, a hundred founding teams a year. Um, and my job is first and foremost to make sure those founders have what they need to succeed. And secondly, to make sure that my team has what they need to succeed. 
Absolutely. I think that's uh, an important part of uh, any team there. And yeah, with your experience and the the amount of founders that you work with, I'm I'm personally really excited to chat with you today. I know we, of course, work with a, a number of founders as well, getting them capital raise ready and working on their materials. So the expertise that you have there is invaluable. So at Forum Ventures, you have a very hands-on approach to helping founders grow their businesses. So what's a little bit more about your personal leadership style as someone who mentors so many startups and leads a large firm? Yeah. So the way I think about it is I, you know, spent 20 years on the other side of the table and I always try and put myself back in those shoes. You know, I, I made a ton of mistakes as a founder. I still make a lot of mistakes today. And so I always approach it at, you know, what would have been helpful for me to hear when I was there with founders. And in my experience, what's actually not helpful is telling them, you need to do X because there's a lot of nuance you just don't have. You know, that person wakes up every day and spends, you know, 10, 12, or if you're some founders all day thinking about their business and, you know, I will work hard with them, but if I'm spending two, three, four, five hours a week on, on a per business basis, that's, that's a fair amount. So just a ton of nuance we're not going to have. And also the other approach I take is, you know, Founders need to approach it from their authentic skill set, especially at the early stages. So what worked for me or didn't work for me, um, more likely, is not necessarily what's going to work for them. So trying to take like a nuanced, balanced, empathetic, listening um, approach, I find to be orders of magnitude more effective to get where you want to go together. Absolutely. I think that creates and, and fosters a great environment there. Now, as you've advanced through your career, are there any role models that you've looked up to or great mentors along the way? And what are some of the, the best pieces of career advice that you've received? Uh, so I've, when I think about venture, I mean, part of the reason why I'm at Forum is I went through the Forum program nine years ago. Oh, wow. And I was lucky enough to raise venture capital from a number of firms and like a decent amount of it. And Forum and my partner, Mike, was very much, you know, the person I went to when I had, you know, real challenges and founders have business challenges, but so much of being a founder is just fighting that battle with yourself every day mm -hmm. um, because separating you and your business is literally impossible because yeah. especially at early stage, you literally are your business, but even later, it's so much of your identity, your time, your care, your thoughts. Um, and so Mike, you know, our, our, our founder and my partner is, is very much one of those people. Um, but also from the venture side, you know, I was lucky enough to, uh, Greg Barnes from Hyde Park Ventures was on our cap table. And every time I called him was that like empathetic listening, uh, always had time, you know, very much, um, who I want to be in the world now, um, are, are folks like that. No, that's amazing. I think what I, I really like about your story is having gone through that journey yourself as an entrepreneur in those programs, you're now in a position where you're giving that wisdom and advice back to, to future founders, which is great. So I'm sure as you've uh, worked with those mentors yourself, you're, you're really now mentoring so many great companies in the ecosystem and really helping uh, that entrepreneurial cycle continue with, with great learning. So that's really nice to hear. Now, Diving into a little bit more about Forum Ventures. So Forum Ventures helps B2B SaaS startups from scratch with a world-class team. Uh, you also have industry-leading accelerator and a fund, as you mentioned. 
So can you talk to us a bit more about um, how you choose to work with a startup and uh, perhaps what that pitch process looks like? Yeah, so um, how we choose to work with the startups really different with every startup. So one of our key things that we think is, you know, founders don't need school, especially now. There's so much avail information available online. When a founder wants to find a specific piece of information, it's usually there. But we're there to be the sounding board to say things like, hey, you know, we've already stepped in that pothole and, and maybe don't um, point out some things that founders might not see. If you've never done this before, you might not realize like, oh, that's a whole thing to avoid or that's a thing to embrace. Um, but really meeting each founder where they are. Every business is different. Every person is different. The things I need help with aren't going to be the things you need help with. And so really taking the approach of how do we be you know, a, a kind of co-founder in your business and giving you what you need instead of dictated by us, I think is a big way we flip the model on its head, particularly the accelerator model. Um, and then the pitch practices, the pitch process with us is actually quite simple, especially because we're early stage, we're almost always the first venture check in. We invest in places others don't, like the pitch doesn't need to be super polished. We're here to help you fix that. We're looking for great founders in big markets. Um, and, you know, from us to go from meeting you to a check is usually like a couple of weeks. Um, wow. And we'll invest pre-revenue, we'll invest pre-product. We'll, you know, we we are early, true early stage investors and partners. Absolutely. I think it's uh, amazing to hear just the the timelines there. I know sometimes um, obviously raising capital can be a long, difficult, tedious process for a lot of founders and knowing that you guys are, able to to take those bets and really back and support those early stage founders with um not too long of a lead time there as well that's uh really great to hear and I'm, I'm sure just has such an impact on the ecosystem as a whole now um i'm really excited to talk to you a little bit more about fundraising narratives and i know that you have a great background in that area it's certainly something that we work with a lot of our founders with as well so forum ventures has a dedicated fundraising track designed to get founders feeling ready and confident with their next round of funding. One of those aspects that you help founders with is building their fundraising narrative. So can you talk to us more about that? Are there any core storylines that you recommend founders follow? What advice do you have there? Yeah, so the biggest one, and you know, Front Funder has been amazing at, you know, kind of spreading this word is fundraising is really about storytelling. So I think a lot of fundraisers approach it because, you know, they've seen the, the sample pitch decks and it's like a collection of slides and check boxes. And that's really not what fundraising is. Fundraising, and it it's not really even about your company. Fundraising is telling a story about why you and your founding team are the right people to back on this gigantic investment opportunity. That's the story you're trying to tell. And the beauty is everyone's story is different. My story is going to be different than your story, which is going to be different than a certain founder's story. And so whatever your story is, it should highlight your unique strengths and why this investment opportunity is likely to be a great one. And so there's all sorts of storylines that work, right? Like if you're a phenomenal technical person, we suggest like the Tony Stark, where you lead with this like big eureka moment and then all these things that and now you can fly. And, you know, so like yeah. there's... That's that's an amazing narrative for people, you know, for we, we work with PhD founders who've never really had a job, but have this like yeah. brilliant patentable thing. And that's an awesome way to do it. If 
it's an obviously like big market, you know, the like society is changing narrative. And here's the unique insight we've got to capitalize on the societal shift. And here's why we're the perfect people to capture that insight. That's a great one. Um, if you launch something and all of a sudden you're just flooded with traction, then we recommend being like, I am going to tell you a story of how we got 30 people to sign up in just nine days with no mark. Like, your story yeah. is your own. And I I think my biggest thing I keep hammering founders on all the time is your journey is your own. You can't do it the way really other famous entrepreneurs did it because you're not them. You have to do it the way you're going to do it that makes sense for you right now. And so what is that story that highlights that strength and teases out a great you know, investing opportunity? That's what we, and, and I know you guys do a great job of, of working with founders to make sure that we get that. No, I, I really appreciate those examples there. I, I love how you kind of broke that down into to different groups and the the Robert RDJ example there is great. Um, you do work with all different kinds of founders, all different kinds of businesses, and it's, it's not always about what's that one stock approach to communicating it, but it's finding the strengths of that individual founder and that team to be able to best convey it as well. And certainly some which has come from more of that technical background to your point. Some are more societal. We've definitely seen some where it's like, there's so much demand for the product. We can't fulfill it. Okay. How do you now do that narrative so you can get the capital you need to uh, support those operations there? So really love how you frame that. And I think, you know, even for ourselves, we find at the end of the day, people invest in people. Um, you know, that's a big aspect of, of even equity crowdfunding as a channel. It's, you know, who is the team behind this? What is the mission? What's that market opportunity? Um, so so great to hear that uh, that's what you look for and how you uh, support founders there as well. Now, the next thing I kind of want to get into is a little bit more of the, the pitch deck itself. You mentioned it's a collection of slides. Like, how do you make that pitch exciting? Um, and you probably receive dozens of pitch decks daily. So in your experience, what makes for a good pitch deck? So I think it's just that it's, it's a story, right? So yeah. it's very easy to get lost in like, here's what our product does. And that's great because that's necessary. And that's what people are going to buy and love, but really like, I need to be able to put down your pitch deck. And when someone turns to me and say, oh, what do they do? Be able to clearly explain in 30 seconds, what it is you're doing and why you think that's going to be big. And a lot of pitch decks don't have that thesis in there as to why this is a market opportunity or why this is or why now or any of those things. So I always say a good pitch deck is going to have, first of all, a clear narrative arc. And a clear narrative arc isn't usually just like problem solution, you know, market size. It's like literally like in plain English with no PowerPoint, what is your story? And then it also has a list of checkboxes that need to be true. And those checkboxes are usually who are you? Why are you the right person to do this or people to do this? Why does this opportunity matter? Why is it going to be big? And what is the core insight that's driving your unique approach to this? And as long as you have those checkboxes, you can weave that into a story and most importantly, your story, then it'll resonate. And if it doesn't have those checkboxes and I have to, you know, when you let investors, whether they're in the crowdfunding channel or venture investors, when you let them fill in the blanks, they'll fill in the blanks from their life experience. And those blanks are often 
usually wrong. So yeah. they're not the blanks you want filled in. <laughs> so I always say, you know, make sure you've got a story that you could explain to a non-expert in your field in five minutes that checks those boxes. Then take that just basic campfire story uh, and turn that into a pitch deck. Uh, I find a lot of people start with like, these are the 10 slides and work backwards. And in my way, yeah. it's like the fundamental error. Like you need to tell the story first and then map it to a PDF, right? Like not yeah. the other way around. No, it's a great point. I feel like so often <laughs> founders are thinking, oh, I need X amount of slides for this. I need X amount for this. Let's fill the boxes of what I think it needs to include. Do you find that as entrepreneurs are taking that narrative approach, is there kind of an average slide count that they land on that works quite well? Or is it more of just tell the story of a short, succinct pitch, however slides you need to communicate that doesn't matter. Yeah. So I think your audience is slightly different than ours, but uh, yes. I've got a dirty little secret about VCs. We don't really read. So <laughs> we like things, you know, like go to Twitter, you'll see about the attention spans, right? So, yeah. I mean, if you look at the data and we've got our own data sets, but if you look at uh, Docsend or, or really anyone's data set, the average time spent reading a, a deck for pre-seed and seed is about two minutes and 30 seconds. So if you break down how, and that, how much attention, and that includes not just first read, that includes like all the reads. So that's even when people yeah. like are deeper down in examining this for real. So your average partner is like skimming a deck. And so you can't go deep because you're just, you don't have that permission space for that much attention yet. To your point, we'll see 300 deals a month. So that's, wow. you know, if we're working 21 day, you know, to your point, that's, it's, yeah. it's a lot of deals. So, yeah. So I say kind of that's, that's generally, and then specifically, I, I think that if you're at over 12 slides for a seed round, especially for a first meeting, then you should really ask yourself why. And are these yeah. things super necessary to the story? Because the truth is like for a lot of this stuff, the big, one of the big errors I see founders make is like a lot on product. Like, I want to know what your product does, yeah. but I don't need to know how it does it in the first meeting. Because if I'm yeah. interested, I'm going to get a demo on the second meeting and I'm going to learn all that stuff. So trying to tell everything all at once isn't what a pitch deck is for. A pitch deck is to tell me a story of why you are the right person to make a ton of money doing what you're doing. No, I think that's great advice. And yeah, definitely to your point, you know, crowdfunding audience is a little bit different. And we we work with companies that are looking to chat with VCs and angels and accredited investors, as well as do the equity crowdfunding legs. So one thing that we typically recommend is having like two variations of the deck. Have that one that you're sending out to VCs and angels, and then have one that gets transformed into that campaign page, which is typically a longer narrative. You're dealing with more retail investors. They might need a bit more context, and they're not likely to get that one-on-one -on -one meeting in the future. So they need to be able to read that content and fully digest. So with that, we, we see generally on average six to seven minutes kind of reading through that investment pitch, more so from the, the retail perspective. But yeah, I love that advice for, for venture capital. I think that's a, a big thing. And certainly something we want to drive all of our founders to as well, you know, as you're raising through this means, you know, here's uh, how to best present the pitch to, to venture as well. So really appreciate um, so pieces of advice there. 
Next thing as well that I wanted to, to get into is how can those early stage and pre-revenue founders who may have less traction to highlight build their excitement in their pitch deck and fundraising narratives? Is there any key steps for that stage of a business? Yeah. So the especially in this market where traction has become far more important, it's it has gotten harder. Founders, you're not you're not just imagining it. Um, so it's what you want to do. The reason why traction is so good is obviously it's a proof point that what you're saying is true from the market. So what you need to do is find other proof points that this is true from the market. And they won't be as strong as traction, but do also remember every single big business in history has had one thing in common. They all started at $0 in revenue. So, you know, you might not have seven customers, you might not have any customers, but what are the proof points? that show that the market wants this solution? Could it be we've conducted 100 interviews with potential customers and the design of the, you know, the director of design at Figma says, this is a great idea and they're willing to let you put that in the deck. Did you throw up a splash page and the wait list is now 1,812 people and we only spent $212 on Instagram ads? Amazing, throw that down. Yeah. If it's you personally were the you know president of television and in your role as president of television you saw these problems firsthand or is it that you know mckinsey and mark andreessen say that you know ai is eating software or whatever it is right so there's all sorts of traction is a proof point that what you're saying is true it's an objective statement of fact that even a vc can't argue with although some of us will try um you need those that aren't money. And so those are four good areas to look. And founders, I urge you, if you don't have any of those four, you're probably not ready to fundraise because you have not validated this enough that a VC is going to touch it. But those are all things you can do reasonably easily. Sorry, not easily, quickly. None of this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now you mentioned as well, it, it is obviously a harder environment for those raising capital right now. I know our, our team was just uh, sharing an article in the Financial Times this morning talking about how venture capital funding in startups has really halved over the last period of time. Um, so for any founders listening today, is there any advice that you can share to help with finding and uh, pitching potential investors in the market we're in today? Yeah. So one thing is, you know, just adjust your expectations to the new reality. And the new reality is that you need to talk to, our data used to show that to get around, you'd probably have to talk to somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 to 40 individual venture funds. And now that number has gone up because some venture funds are investing less or lower amounts or not actively investing at all. So you still need to find 35 to 40 funds that are investing at the same rate as previously. And that probably means like 60 funds for a round, you know, yeah. so more. The other one is you just need to adjust to the new environments. So the new environment means traction matters more. Valuations are down. Your expectations should be down. The amount you're raising is probably going to be less. And so founders that have strengthen themselves to this new reality and are taking the more meetings and have downward adjusted their expectation sets. Um, there is, if this is brand is one of those frustrating things that VCs say, there is money for good companies. It's just yeah. harder to get. 
For sure. No, I think that's uh, good advice. I know we've been seeing on our end as well, just really preparing for it to take longer to raise capital. Uh, to your point, you need to be having more conversations, meeting with more groups. It's likely going to take longer. So companies really need to prepare themselves for that as they go into it. And, um, you know, the, the hard work is going to continue. So I know we've chatted a little bit as well, um, you know, kind of the, the venture capital audience, the angel investor audience for Front Funder. There's a huge retail audience component of that. So for investors who are pitching, um, from your experience, how might their pitch strategies change depending on which kind of audience they're reaching out to, whether that's VCs, perhaps even friends and family, angels, retail, et cetera? Yes. Yeah, so a way I think about it is as you go down the sophistication curve of investors or maybe the perceived sophistication curve, um, <laughs> you have to make things simpler and explain things even more narratively to an audience that might not get it. So for example, the venture audience, you don't need to start off by saying like, AI is the future, the cloud is, it's like, yes, we know. Whereas, you know, we're, that's our job is to know that, right? Whereas like, and same thing, an angel who, you know, made their money at Shopify, you don't need to be like e-commerce is, you know, they, 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 they're aware. Whereas for a retail person, Again, the same thing I said about traction is now true about narrative. You need to prove that narrative. So if you're like, look, AI is going to be huge. You know, Goldman Sachs study said 300 million jobs are going to be affected. You know, that was last week's. And, you know, you need to prove those points. You need to exist even more at like a narrative and theme level of like, here's this meta theme I'm capturing. Here's the shift. Here's why this is going to be big. Even more momentum. And you need to make it even more relatable um, for an audience that is less sophisticated. They're also willing to do less work because it's my job to find out if your company is good or not. When I'm angel investing in stuff that I know less about, it's not my job. And so I'm just like, is this person awesome? Yes. Do I believe this narrative? Yes. Am I actually happy to lend out my network to this person? And if the answer to those things are yes, then I might do it. But I'm not going to sit there and then like call an analyst to be like, I need a competitive workup on because I'm retail. I don't have an analyst at home. I have like a three-year-old and a five-year-old and they want to play like Elmo. So, you know, it's not going to, not going to happen. So yeah, that would be my advice is just really remember the audience. Don't assume knowledge. And, and this is true for everyone. Retail, gets excited about this, but VCs do too. What's the big idea? You know, that big idea, that that quick big idea about like how the world's going to be different because you exist. Um, and it's, it's easy to fall into self-parody there, but there is a big idea or else you wouldn't be doing this. So what is that? That's great. I, I really love how you frame that. I think that's also supported by the numbers that we chatted about earlier with, you know, you're seeing Two and a half minutes to read a pitch deck. We're seeing, you know, six to seven on average to read through an investor pitch, predominantly coming from retail. So there are aspects of that narrative that definitely need to be explained in more detail. And rather than the investors going out and doing their own research, you need to present all of that as part of the narrative storytelling to have that validation, show those opportunities, and uh, really make it as 
crystal clear as possible. Because to your point, the retail investor is probably not going home on the weekend going, I've got 10 companies to analyze this weekend. Let's get it all done. So you need to kind of look at that continuum of who the investor is and adjust the pitch accordingly. So I think that's really great, great insight there for founders. Now, uh, as well as that, I think what's really interesting about your story, as we touched on earlier, is that you've just, you've been in the entrepreneur's shoes, um, which gives you, I'm sure, just great ability to connect with founders at, at Forum Ventures. So what's your favorite part about supporting entrepreneurs in the ecosystem? Um, so, I mean, there's the obvious, like super fun of, you know, I had a founder who, you know, was struggling through stuff and got a term sheet yesterday and they call you and they're like, we did it. And you're like, I didn't actually do anything. You did it. But so that's awesome. Right. Yeah. Everyone loves that. But what I really like is I made so many mistakes as a founder so many times in every company I've ever started. Uh, and again, I continue to make mistakes now. Um, but just being able to authentically support the human doing it and, you know, being able to validate that, like, look, like so much of this advice out there is people who that don't admit that it was like so hard and they're so sure. Yeah. And it's like, I've worked for people that have sold companies for billions of dollars and our venture together failed. Right. Because even for them, you know, with two multi-billion dollar exits under their belt, like it's it's hard to start a company. And it's personally really difficult. You've risked so much, your identity is tied up in it. So being able to validate, empathize, and support the human at the center of the business is and you know, tell them like, no, like we all have some imposter syndrome. And if you don't have a little yeah. bit of imposter syndrome when you're fundraising for the first time. That's weird because everyone else does. Yeah. And like, in our, you know, to run a business, you have to be good at like marketing, recruiting, sales, finance, products. And no one I've ever met is great at all those things. And so if you feel inadequate, so does everyone else. And that's okay. Um, and trying to figure out how to do it your way. That part where I think I can make the journey you know, a little more successful, a little easier, a little more human, a little more empathetic is what actually drives me to do this. It's amazing. Definitely with your experience, having been there, there is that great level of empathy that you can bring to the table and really, yeah, show founders they're, they're not alone in the journey. It definitely, uh, it is difficult. You know, every day is going to be different and, uh, you know, hopefully there's uh, an exciting end at the, the light of the tunnel. But I know with a lot of founders that I've talked with as well, it's just understanding to enjoy the journey. Um, you know, the, the outcome is one thing, but you have to enjoy the day to day, what you're doing, um, stick with it. And I know for myself as well, with, with the founders that I work with a uh, day to day, that's really the, my favorite aspect of my job too. It's getting to know the people behind the company and what drives them and their story. And then, you know, after their raise, being able to go on and see this company create a positive impact in the industry and Canada's economy and see them create positive social change into the future. is just so rewarding um, to know that, you know, you've been a part of such a, even a small part of their story, but uh, the fact that, uh, you know, you've been able to learn more about the, the people behind the companies and support them along the way is always very rewarding. Now we, yeah. we touched on a little bit as well, just how challenging the times are to, to raise capital. Um, and uh, I know uh, you mentioned kind of some great advice and tips on how to reframe the, the mindset through that period of time. So as we, we look to 
kind of the, the next aspects of 2023 and into that future fundraising environment. Um, anything else that you could share on, on what startups should consider when maybe they're looking to just start a fundraising round um, this year? And um, yeah, any expectations there? Yeah, so I think you kind of touched on it because you guys see a ton of this as well, which is it just takes twice as long. So uh, at the professional investor class, there's some fear there for sure. And so they're trying to get things right. They might've made a lot of investments last year and be a little underwater or potentially very underwater. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it just, it's going to take a really long time. Um, things that would have taken, you know, a month to two a year ago can take three to six now. Um I also encourage people to very much try to time box it as much as possible. If yeah. you're fundraising a little bit at all times, it's grueling. So just, yeah. you know, really set aside a month where it's like, okay, for this month, this is basically all I'm doing. And I'm going to tell my co-founder or the rest of the team, like I'm basically out of pocket for a month and I'm just going to be relentlessly focused on getting in front of 60 VCs. Um, and then this is impossible. I failed at this at all every turn while being a founder, but as much as possible, and again, it's impossible to fully do, don't take it personally. And it's hard when you're putting something that you created out and being like, what do you think? And then everyone's like, it's never going to scale or whatever, right? Like, yeah, we don't believe in the mark. You know, it's it's very hard to, and again, if if it takes 60 funds to be successful, or even retail, the numbers are even worse, right? It's like for every yeah. thousand people that see it, two are going to invest, you know, it's hard not to take 998 no's personally, but that'll eat you up. So you just got to remember it's a numbers game. And just because it's not their thesis doesn't mean it doesn't, you know, you'll have people you respect who are brilliant, who are just like, I think that that's insane. And you're like, Okay. And you just got to take what you need from that feedback and leave the rest. Um, and then the last one is it's really easy to get stressed out. It's actually almost impossible not to on this, yeah. but like I make my founders promise me that on Saturday, they're not going to turn on their computer or send emails. Well, you need one day where you're just like not in it because it's all encompassing. I think that's a, a great piece of advice there. Definitely take some time to unplug not worry about it. As a startup, your life is all about the startup all the time. Um, so really being able to, to take a break is, is very important there. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about as well, we've talked a lot about the narrative, the current environment. Um, so given the changes in the current investment landscape, how can founders tweak their narrative accordingly? We've talked a little bit about the importance of traction and market opportunity and other elements. So are there any kind of pieces of that pitch or that narrative that you think should be prioritized more when we're in a market like this? Yes. So there's a couple of things that matter a lot more now that didn't previously. So traction is one. But again, if you don't have traction, market validation. So traction is the most perfect form of market validation. It's people who are paying you for your thing. But there are others, and we've kind of covered those. Um, the other one is um, you know, capital efficiency, which for those of us in Canada, we've kind of always been there. So that's good. Um, that's just kind of how we look at the world for a lot of us. But 
that matters a lot. So that capital efficiency, both in like, how are you planning on building this business in a way that's responsible to capital? And does your underlying business model work? Because, you know, there's there's certainly more eyes on that and the business models that would just be venture funded to like lose money. But don't worry, at 50 million in revenue, we're going to turn a profit. Those, yeah. those don't work any longer. Um, and showcasing your capital efficiency, which founders, good news, at early stage, you've been capital efficient. You don't have any money. So <laughs> just showing them that you understand how to do that um, is going to be wildly helpful. And then the other kind of paradigm shift I'm seeing is we used to build financial models and they would just be like at 18 months, you're bankrupt. But the assumption was in 18 months, don't worry, someone else would give you money. You need to start building for a world of optionality where maybe there's a next round, but maybe there isn't. And if there isn't, you need to be able to tell a credible story of how you can still build a business. Um, even if the hope is, if you're an inventor, that, you know, yeah, sure, after seed, you raise an A. But what if you don't? Or you just you just go away? So you can use those market validation pieces and your capital efficiency story to tell a story of, obviously, our plan is to do this huge. But if we don't, we're already seeing signs that we can be profitable within a year kind of thing. Absolutely. I think that's uh, great advice across the board. I know it's something we've been seeing in the market ourselves and certainly sharing with our founders as well is just how critical that path to profitability now is. If you're not already there, people don't want to see that the company is losing money for X period of time anymore without a plan and going, hey, when we hit this you know, market revenue number, we'll finally get there. It's how can we get towards that uh, path to profitability now? So I think that's uh, great advice for for founders. So really appreciate that. Uh, the last thing I wanted to, to ask is um, a little bit more on uh, diversity and inclusion. So according to a report from Diversity VC, mere 1.87 of venture capital was allocated towards women and minority-owned startups in 2022. And at Forum Ventures, your mission is to create a space where everyone, no matter their background, can get access to funding. So as both a, a program and fund, how does Forum Ventures embody diversity, equity, and inclusion? So I think it starts with who your team is, right? And so we've been lucky enough to bring in people that look like the world outside, who come from a wide variety of backgrounds, like our two check writers at the accelerator, you know, um, fit that profile. You know, I was of our 27 people were actually one of the few venture funds that I'm proud to say is more than half female. Um, wow. Yeah. So we actually live that creed. And then because of that, it, it compounds, right? So, and then we're also doing things that let us give a chance to people that might have non-traditional backgrounds. Um, our experience actually is that that class of founder tends to actually outperform <laughs> the other class of founders. So it makes sense both from like a way to be in the world, but also it just makes financial sense. So, and because our mission is to help founders who are not necessarily polished or who've like exited three times, like those founders don't need so much help, they'll raise. Um, because we're doing a lot of first-time founders, and we're really hands in. We can hands on. We can be helpful in a way that you know helps to change that number downstream. Um, and without getting into the numbers, I know that our numbers are wildly different than the number you just quoted. Yeah, it's amazing to see. I love the the work that you're doing there. I know one of the things that we always promote too with our source of raising capital is 
anyone can raise capital from their community. And we saw through the, the month of March running our uh, Embrace Equity campaign supporting uh, the, the female co-founded um, founded companies on our platform as well that, uh, you know, over the, the last couple of years, we've had over 28% um, of the funds through our platform towards, uh, you know, woman-owned companies and still not as good as it can be, but, uh, you know, are creating more opportunities so that we're seeing a little bit more diversity in terms of who the capital is going to, who's raising capital, um, which is great for the overall ecosystem. So love the mission that you embody. And to your point, it starts with the team, having a very diverse team, brings new perspectives to the table and creates more opportunities there. So just uh, as we look to, to wrap things up today, is there anything else that you'd like to share about Forum Ventures, um, for any founders raising, and how can those who might be interested learn more about Forum Ventures as well? Um, yeah, the one thing I will say is, you know, we're writing like eight checks a month. So we're actively funding today. You know, it's it's April. We still have seven left to do. So, you know, and, and you'll find out quick if you're a business building software for other businesses, we're at forumvc.com and we would love to hear from you or you can find me personally on LinkedIn and I uh, respond to every founder who messages me. So go nuts. That's amazing. I love to hear that. Well, Jonah, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your wisdom. Not only did I learn a lot, but I think this is going to be such value for, for founders in the ecosystem today. So really appreciate your time and you sharing your wisdom. Thanks for having me. For anyone new to the podcast, FrontFunder is Canada's leading equity crowdfunding platform, enabling all Canadians to invest in the most exciting startups and growth stage companies, something that was previously only available to the 1%. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can have your questions answered in an upcoming episode. This podcast episode is for informational purposes only and should not constitute financial advice. Investors should conduct their own due diligence on any investment they may be considering on FrontFunder. For details of any offering listed on FrontFunder, refer to the offering document on their campaign page at www.frontfunder.com.